listening to the Reformand Initiative podcast, where we analyze and discuss Roman Catholic theology and practice from an evangelical perspective. My name is Clay Kennard, and as usual, I'm sitting here in the city center of Rome with my brothers and colleagues, Reed Carr and Dr. Leonardo De Chirico. Brothers, how are you doing today? Very well. Thank you, Clay. <laughs> yes, also doing well. Thanks. <laughs> Good. So we're just a few days out from Christmas. Have you gentlemen finished all of your Christmas shopping? Yes. There's a delay there. So, <laughs> yes. Leo's like, what Christmas shopping? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, so it's a wonderful time of year. I know we're preparing for uh, our liturgies for our Sunday services. We're excited to be able to worship the Lord and celebrate the, the significance of this season, um, specifically the, the incarnation of the Son, uh, who came with uh, intended purpose. And uh, we'll just start the show with probably one of the most famous scripture mm. verses in the world, John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already mm. because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And that was, those are the words of Christ, our savior. Uh, again, in his, his prayer, uh, in his high, his high priestly prayer before, uh, the passion, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And a little further along, um, we, we can read in Luke chapter 13 that Christ also said, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And those words were echoed by uh, Peter, the apostle, who said in Acts 2, 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And not just by Paul, but also uh, by Peter, but also by Paul, who said in Romans 10, 8, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for with the heart one is believed and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved for scripture says everyone who believes in him, Jesus will not be put to shame. So uh, those seem sound like pretty explicit uh, passages when it comes to how one obtains eternal life. Mm -hmm. We heard it from the mouth of our savior whose birth we are celebrating in a few days, we heard it from the mouth of his followers, Peter and Paul who uh, here in the Roman in the Roman capital and, and where, where the Vatican is, uh, you have the Roman Catholic church that says that they were founded on Peter and Paul. So Reed, what's the significance of all this for our topic today? <laughs> well, it's a very good segue into, uh, Leo's Vatican file that will be coming out, um, on the 1st of January. We'll give a, um, look into it and kind of a preview of it, I suppose, which is uh, a very, very interesting article um, that all evangelicals should be aware of and should be talking about, honestly. But um, it happens in contexts and in places and in languages that a lot of people um, aren't aware of or aren't able to interact with. And so um, that's one of the reasons why the Reformand Initiative exists is to inform people of things that they may not be uh, informed about and, and understand. And so we're really appreciative of Leo for, uh, following these things closely and, and writing them about them. <clears throat> but, but yeah, those verses you, you read are very pertinent to the discussion for today, especially, 
uh, verses like John three sixteen um, that talk about mm. uh, God's love for the world, um, sending His Son to to um, save the world. Uh, but maybe leaving out other verses uh, that talk about the necessity of of repenting and turning away from your sins and placing your faith in Christ. So it's no dying to self. It's no longer about uh, me. Um, it's about um, what God has done for me uh, through Christ and living that life fully to his glory. Mm. Uh, and again, dying to my desires and, and uh, myself. Um, but as in, in today's world and certainly in modern day Roman Catholicism, there's a strong emphasis on God's love and uh, his acceptance of all um, the fact that we're uh, all united in, in, in some sense. And, and so there's, there's very, very little, if any, um, emphasis on, on sin and what that does to our relationship uh, with God and the need for us to uh, repent from that sin and turn away from it and call others to uh, repent from their sin. Um, so, I mean, we've talked about it many times, uh, for example, in Pope Francis's uh, latest encyclical, All Brothers, um, the, the title says it all mm-hmm. in a 40,000 word document. The sin doesn't, the word sin doesn't appear once. So we just we see more and more uh, affirmations and, and confirmations of this modern day Roman Catholicism that is the living embodiment of Vatican II theology as it continues to evolve and, and take shape and be interpreted by mm. uh, the modern day Roman Catholic Church. And so what we what we want to talk about today is the latest example of that uh, and a, an extremely clear example of that is it, actually very helpful whenever it's so clear. Um, it doesn't require really any type of, of, um, other, you know, diving into it to try to figure out what they're saying. What they're saying is, is clear and it's a, uh, a clear reflection of, of, um, modern day Roman Catholic theology based on Vatican II. So, um, Leo, tell us, tell us a little bit about what this latest article is. Well, it's a reflection on the, uh, one of the sermons that was preached uh, to the Pope and the papal household um, in the Advent season. There is a tradition for the official preacher of the uh, papal household uh, to preach a series of three sermons during the Advent uh, season. And that was the first one. And um, on the a theological virtue of uh, love mm. or faith, love and hope. The, the, the three, the three sermons w- were based on the three uh, virtues. And um, the first one was on faith, actually, and uh, preached by Cardinal uh, Raniero Cantalamessa. He's a, the appointed uh, preacher of the papal household, the official preacher of the, of the Vatican and uh, a cardinal, a capuchin, a, Charismatic Catholic, a, a very well-known uh, figure in not only in Italy and but also in Latin America, is a, a patristic scholar, is a well-known even media um, type of man, uh, spokesperson for this gentle, soft, uh, inclusive uh, Franciscan voice of the Catholic Church in, in, in Southern Europe and Latin America. And um, uh, what is significant of the of this sermon is that it outlines the present day Roman Catholic version of universalism, 
the view whereby in the end we all will be saved with or without faith in Christ. Uh, in a nutshell, the argument of Cardinal Cantalamesa is that uh, uh, we will be saved, all of us, the whole of humanity will be saved by Christ. But the point is, with or without faith. Uh, so faith becomes a non-personal, non-necessary uh, way of receiving the gift of salvation. Christ saves us all, but faith is no longer a uh, the means by which we are saved. And that opens up the the whole um, issue of universalism. That is, we in the end, in one way or another, we all will be saved. This is the 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 core of, of the sermon, and uh, it's interesting to see that it follows a consistent um, train of argument and uh, development in. Catholic theology in post-Vatican two times, uh, building on that Catholicity, all-embracing view of Christianity, whereby we're all Christians in the end, uh, anonymous Christians, conscience, conscient Christians, but nonetheless all included. So, you know, someone's listening to this conversation there's a tendency or the temptation to be like, come on, like this, that's not what he said. There's some type of embellishment here. There's exaggeration to make a point. There's no way that a cardinal of the Catholic church, a very influential cardinal in the presence of Pope Francis is going to say that you can be saved even without faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. But again, <laughs> that's what he said. I mean, you, you quote, you have, you even have uh, links within your article to um, Vatican news, who the, the title of it was, um, you, it was in Italian, but this Cardinal says, God can say, God has many ways of saying, uh, of saving people. Uh, uh, Mesa himself says if faith that saves is faith in Christ, what to think of all those who have no chance of believing in him. So there's the acknowledgement of this traditional understanding of we're saved and through faith in Christ. Yes. But, he asked the exact same question that Lumen Gentium 16 asks in his first, his first paragraph. You know, we, we, we make a lot of reference to Lumen Gentium. It's almost like, come on, like is there, there's other parts of Vatican document, Vatican II documents that are, that are important. And that is very true. They all are. But this one was so just theologically significant because of this exact, these exact reasons. I mean, the first, first words of it are, uh, though, finally, those who have not yet received the gospel are related in various ways to the church. And they go on to explain um, what those ways are. And they just get more and more kind of universalistic in, mm. in its scope. So he's basically piggybacking off of, of Lumen Gentium 16. Yeah, right? and he's actually explaining it. It's interpreting it in the way the universalist uh, interpretation would... Uh, um, want to go. I mean, there is no question that Lumen Gentium 16, you know, can be, uh, it, it, it's a contradictory, um, 
section of, of the of the uh, dogmatic constitution and so uh, because it ju- just opposes statements uh, one inferring that you know faith is necessary but then the next one says that it it, it is not really and so in the end you are um left with an open-ended uh, kind of statement but the consistent now tra- interpretative tradition of magisterial uh, uh, catholicism uh, clarifies that lumen gentium actually means uh, what pope francis is meaning in old brothers in the joy of the gospel and now confirmed by uh, this uh, cardinal cantalamessa so there is a convergent consistent cumulative uh, weight in the present day roman catholic interpretation of uh, lumen gentium 16 pointing to uh, a roman catholic version of universalism that is again in the end with or without faith in christ we will be all be saved by christ that is what makes uh, uh, Roman Catholic universalism different from, say, liberal uh, uh, universalism, whereby you know liberals would say anything goes. You know, you choose, you pick your your way, and that's that's good. Uh, Roman Catholic universalism would maintain that it's all we're all saved by Christ. So there is a like a universal atonement, universal reconciliation. Yes, Christ is the way in a sense but what is at stake is the necessity or unnecessity of faith in christ there is something objective in what christ uh, has done and is doing that does not necessitate the response uh, of faith by faith and so whether or not one is a believer in christ that's not necessary for receiving the benefit of Christ's salvation. And uh, that's the Roman Catholic account of universalism. Um, this, would, this would be maybe a, a realization of other aspects of Lumen Gentium. We're trying to answer the same question. It says, uh, for example, in the same uh, paragraph 16, those also can attain to salvation who through no fault of their own do not know the gospel of Christ or his church, yet sincerely seek God and moved by grace strive uh, by their deeds to do his will as is known to them through the dictates of their conscience. Because if, if Christ is the way, yeah. Christ salvation is through Christ, but let's say you're a Muslim or yeah. even Jewish uh, Jewish who denies Christ as the Messiah, um, you know, a Muslim who denies that uh, Christ would have died on the cross, that God would have sent His Son to die on the cross. How does that? How does that work? How do they? How does? How does? Is that reconciled? Yeah, it, it's 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 still a mystery according to this view. But uh, uh, the point is that the necessity of a conscious, um, cognitive faith. Uh, is uh, left out. So, uh, and 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 cardinal the cardinal says says that um, uh, we have come to the realization that we no longer can restrict uh, God's salvation to Christians only, 
or professing, believing Christians, but we have to expand. And uh, the reason uh, why it says so is that uh, uh, it would be limiting God's grace to a selected group of people. And uh, so leaving out uh, masses of people. <laughs> and uh, that is no longer considered as a plausible uh, way forward. And then by establishing this presupposition, this point out of biblical theological concerns, but out of more emotional uh, interfaith concerns, then he goes, he goes back to those biblical texts, which, uh, you know, seem to talk about God's universal, uh, God's universal scope in, 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 in saving the world. And, uh, and then he makes these texts, uh, primary in his, uh, interpretation that is driven by this extra biblical concerns. We no longer believe that he says, uh, only Christians are saved because that would restrict. So that's, that's not a biblical point. It's, it's a, it's a concern that comes from, a, a, you know, present day contemporary ecumenically minded interfaith minded, uh, conscience whereby, uh, it is conceived, it is perceived as a, as an evil to even think that God would not save us all, save us all. So going back to that, that quote, <clears throat> um, that I began to read earlier from, uh, this Cardinal that does, I mean, it's obviously, it's, it's something that is very difficult for, for anybody who <laughs> has a heart to, to confront the exclusivity of the gospel, right? In a sense, yeah. uh, to say that there is one way, Christ is the way, which means if you believe that, that it does exclude a, lot, a large swath of humanity that denies Christ as Savior. But again, coming from the Cardinal himself, he said, if faith that saves is faith in Christ— so establishing that aspect of it, what to think of all those who have no chance of believing in him. We live in a pluralistic society, even religiously. Our theologies, Eastern and Western, Catholic and Protestant alike, developed in a world where practically only Christianity existed. It was, however, aware of the existence of other religions, but they were considered false from the start or were not taken into consideration at all. So then he continues you know, this is no longer the case based on modern day. The development of doctrine, the development of theology, the Catholic view of development of doctrine, you know, it, it, it moves on. Yeah. So it's not static. It's not something fixed. It moves on while not losing sight of what used to be believed in the past, but at the same time, moving on dynamically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he says, this is, this is no longer the case. For some time, there has been a dialogue between religions based on mutual respect and recognition of the values present in each of them. This is very much all brothers. Yes. Um, who Francis says, you know, we need to look at the, the good that is in all these other religions and celebrate that. He said, with this recognition, the conviction has taken ground that even people outside the church can be saved. So for a long time, uh, certainly as Vatican II theology has unfolded and, and been put into practice by modern day Roman Catholicism, this idea of outside of the church, there is no salvation. 
has been seen as uh, too narrow-minded. Mm. In fact, I know there's a, <clears throat> a Italian missiologist Mario Menin who has said this exact thing in mm. his in his reflections on on Vatican II missiology. What are the implications of, of Vatican II for missions? And mm. it's, this idea is too antiquated. It's not. It's uh. It's it's too narrow-minded. That is no longer the case. Uh, so that boat, if you will, has been uh, expanded or mm. or much bigger. Um, to to include now people of many different faiths because uh, because why because it's a uh, they're trying and the and through the dictates of their conscience based on their context with information they've been given they're doing their best with what they have and the church recognizes that as as faith in Christ in a sense the the anonymous Christian which Karl yeah. Rahner talks about yeah. you didn't know it you're a Christian but you didn't even know it because yeah. you're doing your best is that accurate so, or? yeah you're saved by Christ but. Uh, not necessarily believing him. And so, you know, he also brings in an argument that is uh, in a way twisted in, because um, Lumen Gentium speaks about people who don't know. And uh, he, he also refers to, you know, people who don't know. But then he talks about our context, which is based on uh, religious pluralism. And people uh, we we encounter do know and uh, are not ignorant, are not uh, outside of uh, gr- the grasp of sufficient information about the gospel and Christ. What the reformers used to uh, refer to as the notizia of the gospel, the news of the gospel, they know it. And so it no longer it, it's no longer the case that we're dealing with people with no awareness whatsoever. They know, and yet they refuse it. They believe differently, and uh, because, what he says is that even if they believe differently, if even if they don't submit to Christ, even if they don't recognize Christ as Lord and Savior, they are saved by Christ. And uh, that is, you know, what makes um, Roman Catholic universalism what it is. Wanting both to uh, recognize the um, centrality of Christ and the unnecessary role of faith in Christ. One thing I find extremely interesting is... um, and you you make reference to it in your article. He talks about this idea again that historically speaking, um, Christianity developed in a Western context. Uh, people who believed it that way, and there was not much interaction with other parts of the world. Those other religions were seen as just you know false. I mean, they were just there was no it was black and white as uh, false. He said, but now he says that's no longer the case. Why? Because there's been dialogue. Yeah. Maybe the dialogue that wasn't possible in centuries past is now possible now, but there's a, a lot of emphasis almost as if it's some type of, um, yeah, vehicle, like divine vehicle for, for God continuing to reveal is there's a lot of emphasis put, put on. That's no longer the case. Why? Because of dialogue. Yeah. Now we're dialoguing with each other. We understand that there's actually value in those. So how is that, how is that, um, 
How is that? Yeah, evolving and yeah, it's the it's, it's a, man, a manifestation of the fact that dialogue is seen as a you know vehicle of revelation uh, in a sense. Uh, you know, God reveals you know his, his ways through this evolutionary view of human conscience, human uh, disposition towards accepting one another, and it's quite. Um, um interesting to notice that that as a patristic scholar he should know that uh even his historical claim is is inaccurate um yes you know christianity developed in the western world but christianity in the first 3 centuries did not develop in the western world in the same way he understands it uh, in his statements uh the apostle paul was quite good at dialoguing with people mm. in Athens, in Corinth, in Ephesus. And yet it maintained the, not only the centrality of Christ, but the necessity of faith. And the same is true as far as the, you know, first centuries of the church. It's not a new thing. It's not something that came out of Christendom, you know, this system of Christianity based on this uh, self-referential view whereby if you're part of the system you're saved if you're not you're lost it is it belongs to the core of ancient biblical apostolic christianity and uh, and so I, I found it quite strange that he you know makes the claim that this view of uh, faith in christ being considered the only way arose out of this self-referential Western uh, Latin form of thinking. Uh, instead, it's part of the it's part of what the gospel yeah. says and what the early church practiced without, uh, um, um, you know, accepting it right. and, and, and as a challenge, of course, but uh, uh, being moved by it. What is the response to an Acts 4.12 uh, that uh, there is no other name under heaven by which I guess it's affirmed, obviously, but yeah. read through these lenses, yeah, because the Bible is very clear on yeah. this. It's not. <laughs> it's uh, they would say, you know, it's through Christ, mysteriously uh, giving his salvation uh, with or without faith. The point is not the fact that Christ is the Savior. But the point is how do you access mm -hmm. his salvation? The, as Vatican II implies or says, uh, the, the 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 significant point is no longer uh, conversion or or faith in Christ. The significant point is being human. Mm. That is where grace meets you, and being human goes beyond our religious uh, beliefs and practices. It is part of who we are. And so Christ saves us as humans. That that's the gospel, the post-Vatican II gospel, Catholic gospel, uh, and this is a way to to outline it. Yeah. So again, I, I mean, even John fourteen, Jesus saying, "I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me." Is is the same yeah. same lens, same fabric through which all this is is read. And then the implications. We read this. Or I read this earlier, this quotation of the of the cardinal, but the implications are crystal clear. He says again, with this recognition, that is, that through dialogue we have come to these realizations of um, the goodness present 
uh, and and everyone, even as they as they live their life through the dictates of their conscience, doing the best they can, whether it's in, in a Buddhist Buddhist context or a Hindu or Islamic or whatever it may be, he says, and we quote, with this recognition, their conviction has taken ground that even people outside the church can be saved. So <laughs> it's very clear. But then he has to ask himself the natural question that arises from this type of this theology, because it's common sense to say, okay, well, if that's the case, what need do we need? What's the need for evangelization? Mm-hmm. Why do we need to keep talking to people about Christ? And so he says, is it superfluous then to continue proclaiming the gospel to every creature? And he answers the question saying far from it. Yeah. It is the reason that that must change. Not the fact we must continue to pr- proclaim Christ, not so much for a negative reason, Otherwise, the world will be condemned. Mm-hmm. These are very strong words. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, as for a positive reason for the infinite gift that Jesus represents for every human being. So what is he saying? What does he mean by that? We must continue to proclaim Christ, not so much for a negative reason. Otherwise, the world will be condemned. What, how, do we, how do we understand that? It's a way of saying there is no condemnation. There is no judgment to be preached. Uh, there is no... Uh, um, no, no re- realization that we are lost. No, ex- all, no exclusion. No exclusion. Uh, we have the the reason for preaching the gospel is to uh, show the the you know greatness of God, regardless uh, you know how who we are, and uh, only in a positive way, affirming people and uh, extending them the possibility of perhaps realizing in a fuller way what they already experience, what they already believe, what they already are going through. So it's not no longer the case of uh, the preaching of the gospel, um, bringing about the, you know, the bad news and the good news. It's only good news in the sense that no one is excluded. No one is condemned. We're all already saved. And the gospel is a way of, uh, coming closer in a sense, if, if one wants to come closer to a fuller realization of the blessings of the gospel. But uh, uh, having as a background the idea that we are already engrafted, we are already saved. So it's moving closer rather than uh, coming from being excluded or condemned. Into a, that's John John's language that... Uh, Clay referred to earlier on. It's no longer that. It's no longer from condemnation to salvation. We're already saved. So the preaching of the gospel uh, helps people to, if they want, to move closer to the experience of salvation, but not to salvation itself. Yeah, the Pope really, in this cardinal, obviously very much like John 3.16, as do most people but not so much the verses that follow 17 through 18, for example, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. It seems like there's this also constant tension that they're aware of that they have to maintain between, as we've talked about many times on this podcast, the Roman and Catholic aspects of yeah. Roman Catholicism is very, very Catholic in the sense of universal. 
But even with the question that he asks himself, so should we not evangelize anymore? Do we not need to talk about it? By no means. No, we have to talk, preach Christ crucified. So there's this movement back towards the Roman aspect of it, but trying to fit it into this fabric of the obvious, very universalistic yeah. theology of, of, of what he's saying. Um, so it's, it's, it's quite fascinating. So who, what would he say to the fact of if someone, and I don't know if this would require speculation, but um, about how can someone go to hell? Is that even a possibility? No, I think if you follow this uh, train of thought, uh, hell is, is an empty space. Uh, and again, as you refer to the Roman, the Catholic sides of Catholicism, hell has been consistently uh, taught and presented in Catholic teaching. So they're not going to um, eliminate it, but they are uh, taking people away from it, in it's, a sense. It, it's reserved more for people who willingly ignore the dictates of their conscience. And choose willingly to to, to perform act, evil acts, for example. According but to those Lumen who Gentium, listen to their their conscience, that would be Lumen Gentium tries to maintain that. I think they they you know it says um, I don't have it right in front of me, but it it tries to close that loophole a little bit in the end, just saying, well, it is possible that someone could still deny that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But who would do that? Yeah, it seems. But the emphasis after after Vatican II is always on the, you know, vastness and 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 breadth of God's grace, so that in the end, um, that possibility, though theoretically uh, established, is practically irrelevant. So, Leo, what what do we say to our Roman Catholic friends who say, well, not everyone in the Roman Catholic Church believes that? That's that not everyone believes that way. What's the significance of this cardinal in our response to those people? Yeah, I actually was going to ask the same question, adding to what Clay said. Has there been pushback from other parts of Roman Catholicism to this type of message? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's their problem. It's not our problem. Yeah. We're not Catholic, so we, we, we see these things happen happening and uh, we, we, we understand the dynamics of a system that is not uh, static but moves on. Uh, it's their problem because they, they believe that this uh, church as an authoritative, stable, firm uh, body of teaching, that is a selective and uh, a reductionist view of Catholicism. And uh, they have to take uh, into consideration the fact that uh, their own church at Vatican II um, shifted from a uh, being firmed, being um, rooted in traditional teaching. It moved on in development, in updating, in uh, rephrasing, re-presenting uh, things. And uh, that rephrasing, updating, development, development has been consistently interpreted in the Catholic way, by magisterial documents. I mean, we're talking about encyclicals. We're not talking about uh, my view or your view, mm -hmm. which is irrelevant. It's not a blog post. Encyclicals. We're talking about old brothers. We're talking about apostolic exhortations, the joy of the gospel. 
and we're talking about theological trends, anonymous Christianity. That's not magisterial, I understand. It's a theological trend, but we have now a significant body of magisterial documents interpreting Vatican II, rephrasing, re-elaborating Catholic theology. And now we have also uh, homiletic uh, tools. We have sermons. We have things that are going to the people, uh, confirming that. So the problem is not our problem. The problem is the Catholics' problem. If they believe this static, authoritative, coherent uh, body of teaching, it's not coherent if you don't look for a stable, firm, and uh, consistent teaching. It's Catholic teaching that moves on. And now we have further evidence that uh, it's uh, at the highest level. This is the way in which present-day Catholic theology needs to be interpreted. I mean, he, the audience of this cardinal included the Pope. <laughs> yeah, and the whole of the people, you know, the whole household. Right. So yeah. those who live and work in the Vatican. Right. But that's, that's what most Catholic churches receive on every, every yeah. Sunday. That's the kind of universalist gospel that goes on uh, in in many parts of the world at, at the highest level now. Yeah. Well, it looks like we need to wrap up for time's sake, but it's an extremely, extremely interesting article. And thank you, Leo, for writing it. It'll be coming out on January 1st. Look for it. And yeah, the, the, the church, the evangelical church needs to be aware of this, you know, especially as it has a very... Um, uninformed view at times of, of modern day Roman Catholicism and, and Pope Francis, who's very popular for uh, certain reasons. But these are the kind of things that are being said and, and preached and, and taught. Um, and it's very, very much from an evangelical perspective, anti-gospel. It's not at all representative of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's uh, counter counter to it. Well, I want to conclude our episode with a couple quotes. First by this Cardinal Cantalamesa who said uh, in his sermon, God has far more ways to save than we can think of. He has established channels of his grace, but he has not bound himself to them. It is one thing to affirm the universal need of Christ for salvation and another thing to affirm the universal necessity of faith in Christ for salvation. Now, the apostle Paul, who the Roman Catholic Church declares itself to be founded on, said in Romans ten thirteen, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Later in his letter to the Galatians, Galatians 1.6, he was surprised at their abandonment of the gospel. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to who, to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. If we compare these two messages, development or not, the message is very clear. The sermon that was preached by the cardinal to the papal uh, community is a false gospel. 
And so that has major implications for our understanding of the Roman Catholic Church. It should be infuriating and surprising to us, just as it was to the Apostle Paul when the Galatians were being uh, deceived. But it should also break our hearts and pray that we would be faithful to the biblical gospel, that we would be moved with compassion to people who truly are seeking to draw near to the Lord and to preach the truth of the gospel that requires repentance of their sins and explicit faith in Christ. So let's remember this Christmas season as we celebrate the coming of our Savior, uh, what that message is. Uh, Let us boldly proclaim it and let us pray that people would believe that. Uh, Leo, you'll be taking off soon for Australia uh, on behalf of the Reformation Initiative and the church. And I'll be there for almost three weeks. So taking off on January 4th, I believe. Yes, that's right. um, What will you be doing there? I'll be uh, speaking at various conferences in Australia in five different places. And so speaking on Catholicism. So it will be a a great opportunity to meet uh, with different people and to minister, if you can, to different places and different places, different contexts. And then be playing for that trip. That's followed by another trip to Brazil. Brazil and the U.S., Yep. And so we're going to be in the U.S. We'll be at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary for a uh, Rome Scholars Network, a Reformation Initiative Conference. Reed, you want to give us some more information on the, those dates? Yes, uh, it's um, will take place from February 22nd to 24th at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, it's our first kind of yeah mini conference in the U.S., uh, a test run there. So we're really thankful to the seminary for hosting us and Dr. Allison there who's been and his wife and their team who's been working with us to make this happen. And uh, so we'll put some information up on the website if you're interested in in attending. Um, And I think the seminary students there will be able to get course credit. So we're really excited about it and just kind of see how it goes and and what interest uh, there is in it. So once again, look for Leo's latest article on the Vatican Files blog, vaticanfiles.org, on the 1st of January. I believe it should also be linked to by the Gospel Coalition. Follow us on social media, on Facebook at Reformanda Initiative, and on Twitter at Reformanda Rome. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. From Rome, God bless.